Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I'm the executive director and have been for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more, go to traincpe.org. The other sponsoring ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, where I'm the Bible teacher. We meet in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise for fellowship every Sunday at 11 a.m. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we continue considering the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. There Paul says that he longs to be with the believers in Rome in order to minister to them, and that he is a debtor to those in Rome who have not heard the gospel. In summation, Paul says he is ready to come among them to preach the gospel. In all of this, Paul is not an outlier. He reminds us Christians that one of the great impulses and duties of our lives is to engage in ministering the gospel to one another and to those who have yet to believe in our wonderful Savior. You should find some comfort in the saving life that you receive from Jesus Christ that puts within you a knowledge and a desire and an impulse to share that life with others. It's, a, it's evidence that God himself is abiding within your heart and your life. Don't quench that. Don't frustrate that. You're not only denying the impulse of the Holy Spirit when you restrain yourself from sharing the good news and the gospel with other individuals, but you're also, if you've truly been born again, you are denying your own nature. Not long ago, it was a few years back, I engaged in a series of interviews with a number of individuals as they were sharing their testimonies. One of the things we wanted to talk about was that moment of conversion in their life and what were some of the immediate responses that they saw rising up within them that they didn't expect. And you know, for some of them it was, well, you know, they just wanted to read their Bibles as much as they could. But for many of them, it was, I had to go tell somebody else. I immediately went and told my parents. I immediately told my friends. I immediately began to share with people this gospel. Like, Amy's here. Amy was one of the people that I interviewed. Amy said that she'd been a bit of a party girl in high school and uh, was to give a speech. What was it for, Amy? That's right. Amy was nominated to be the homecoming queen. And so she had a chance right after she'd given her life to Christ to give a speech for the homecoming speech. And she used it to share the gospel with everybody that was there. She just had to tell people. And then also there's an impulse to be with other Christians, which I believe also is a desire to share the gospel. It's to flourish in the presence of other individuals. It's to receive what they're receiving from Jesus Christ, but it's also to share it with them. This wonderful change has taken place in their lives. It's what God does in our life. When God created the world, he created every living thing within the world, and he put within it some kind of internal mechanism that insist upon propagating, that insist upon reproducing itself. If this is true in biological life, if this is true in physical life, do you not believe it's also true in spiritual life? If you've truly been born again of Jesus Christ and you have that spiritual life in you, do you think God shuts off that valve, that law, that impulse? No. There's an impulse within you, a desire within you to promote and express that 
joy and that love and that peace and that wholeness and that power and that comfort that you found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You begin to see everybody else as in need of what you've discovered and what you've found. And have you heard? Have you understood? It's the impulse you have. 2 Corinthians 5, again, go back there. Paul writes in verses 14 and 15 these words. He expresses the reality that in coming to Christ by the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ has been poured upon him. That is Christ's own love for him. In that moment, he feels himself loved in a totality that he's never known before. But it's a love that is now surging through him and emanating back to Christ. And this love that has been poured upon him and comes upon his own life has changed the way that he calculates the lives of everyone else around him. He says in verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We see that the gospel has an implication for all men. And it's calling all men to surrender and give their lives to the one who's died and rose again from the grave on their behalf. And then he adds in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We no longer measure people based upon their attainments or how we contrast with them or what they're doing to us and what we want to do to them and what we can get from them and what we can achieve from them. He says, now we look at all people through this new lens of spiritual life that we have through Jesus Christ and we see them as people in need of this same life. Needing this life and and he yearns to bring this message to them. It's an internal propulsion that is driving him, but then also added to this, Paul tells us there's also an external duty that's compelling him in this work. Our walk as followers of Jesus Christ is a walk into obedience to Jesus Christ. Our obedience to Christ places upon us duties and obligations. And Paul speaks of this external demand to gospel ministry in verse 14 of Romans chapter 1 that we're looking at. There Paul says, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. He feels himself a debtor to all kinds of people regardless of their group identity, whether they're Greeks or barbarians, that is, Greeks or non-Greeks. In this case, it's whether they're Romans or non-Romans. He also feels this indebtedness to them regardless of their individual capacity whether they're wise or they're unwise he owes everyone the debt a payment he feels this indebtedness john stock kind of points out what this means he points out that there's two ways for us to come into indebtedness one is that we can borrow money from an individual and now we're indebted to pay them back but the other way is that a person can give us money with the instruction to pass it on to another person to give it to a friend, to give it to somebody in need. And now all of a sudden, we are debtors by way of command. We've received something from somebody else to give to somebody else. And we're debtors to that somebody else. We maybe have never met them. We don't know them, but we've been assigned a task. We've been enriched in order to enrich them and pass it on to them. The gospel of our salvation is free and it comes to us by faith alone, but it brings us into a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus and a life of obedience to God. And God's commands reflect God's own heart. They reflect God's own nature. They're expressive of the great desires that God has himself. The word of God teaches us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. 
And out of that desire, God gives us commands. Matthew 28, Jesus comes before his disciples and says, go into all the world and make disciples. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus comes before his disciples and says, go and preach the good news, the gospel to all creation. There's your command. It's been put upon you by way of obligation. You can also see this obligation that's set upon us by the second great command that the Lord Jesus taught was given to us. You know, the first command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So the second was like it. It was to love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 7, verses 12, the Lord Jesus takes that second command and restates it in a way that you might understand a little bit better. He says there, therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. We call it the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, believer, you've been saved. You've been rescued from God's judgment and wrath against your sins. You've been forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and your faith and trust in him. You've been, as a result, reconciled to God the Father and brought into his family. You've been taken out of darkness and you've been brought into the kingdom of light. You've been completely and totally submerged in his forgiveness. You've been cleansed inside and made completely whole. Your body has now been made a temple of the residing presence of the Holy Spirit. You have been lifted in a sense from the vagaries of this world and made heirs of all the promises of eternity in heaven. It's good news. It's your experience. It's what God has given to you. Let me ask you something. If you were still in the dark, if you were still unforgiven, if you were still without hope, if you were still in the ignorance and alienation of your sins, would you want someone to tell you this gospel? Would you want to know these things? Would you want to be forgiven? Would you want to have this life you have and enjoy? Would you want to find a place of complete forgiveness? Would you want this sure hope of heaven? Would you want this unending communion with the Father? Is it so precious to you that if you didn't have it, you would want it? What would you want for yourself if you were lost and without Jesus now? Paul has answered this question for himself. And his answer is this. I'm a debtor to everyone. If I'm going to live my neighbor as myself, if I'm going to follow and answer this command, I'm a debtor to them all. I've been given something that's enriched me to such an extent that I have to give it to others. He is externally compelled to these things. Here we see it. There's this internal insisting of the new life that he's received through Jesus Christ, and there's the command of God upon him to love his neighbor, and it sets him with the resolve to carry the gospel ministry and to be ready for such a work and for such a life. And the same should be said of us. The same desire, the same impulse. Now, check yourself. Is it not? We ignore it. We stifle it. We, by omission, do not follow the promptings of God. But if you're a child of God, is that not the case? Is that not the case? Here's the third thing I want you to see here. Paul says he's ready with all that's in him to share the gospel with those who in Rome, and there's a readiness that comes upon us. The question is, how are we to be made ready for this gospel? How is it that we are ready to bring this gospel to others who are believers and also ready to bring this gospel to the unbeliever? How are we to 
work in such a way that both believers and unbelievers may, through the witness of our lives, flourish in the gospel. There are two things I want you to see here. And the first thing is simply this. Know that you have something to offer another. Know that you have something to offer another. Paul knows he has something to offer others. He knows he has this grace of the Spirit resting upon his life, and in it he feels the authority to carry that to others. He knows what he has. He knows what he has to offer. He knows it's something of its fullness, something of its blessing, and as a result, he knows that he has something that others need. Know what that is. Realize that you have an advantage of grace to give to others. Be like Paul and know that you're not ministering out of some kind of deficit. He was ministering out of his fullness. Oftentimes, I've given this advice to young individuals that are hoping to get married, and my advice simply is this. Listen, if you're looking for somebody and you find somebody and you decide, well, I need that person. I need them to be whole in my life. They fulfill some missing component of my life. Don't marry them. Don't put that burden on them. They won't be able to fulfill it. They will fail in it, and at some point in time, you'll be unsatisfied with them. Find all of your fullness and all of your completeness and all of your wholeness in Jesus Christ. Find yourself complete and content in Jesus before everything else. And then when you know that, should God will and God lead you and God prompt you, find a mate that you can share that fullness and that completeness with. Pour that out upon them. That's what a Christian marriage, a gospel marriage is supposed to look like. But it's kind of what a gospel ministry is supposed to look like as well. We come before individuals to bring to them and share with them the completeness that we found in Jesus Christ. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.